Episode 25 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 5.6, Moriantonite Dissension Campaign of the Amalekiahite War, Battle Analysis, Battle of Narrow Pass. The oldest written record of warfare from about 2600 to 2350 BC deals with a series of disputes over land in lower or southern Mesopotamia between two city-states named Uma and Lagash. The fighting seemed to have been over a border area called the Gu'aden. One side invaded the other, built irrigation ditches, farmed the land, and essentially laid claim to land that the other side believed was their own. This, of course, led to violence on the part of those who felt wronged. We have few details of the competing claims of the people of Uma or Lagash, or of any specifics regarding how they fought. In this episode, we address what seems to be a similar dispute that occurred in the eastern portions of the Nephite lands some 2,500 years later. The name of this episode is long and a bit debatable with respect to accuracy. One can argue whether Morianton, the man for whom this campaign is named, was allied or aligned in any way with Amalekiah. As we will discuss, there does seem to be a common strategic vision for Morianton's actions that were shared with Amalekiah. We will also see that Morianton seemed to share a political philosophy with the kingmen, a group that we will later discuss probably had connections with Amalekiah. I place this campaign or series of threatened or actual battles within the Amalekiahite War because it chronologically fits there and because the actions and responses of the participants will set conditions for Amalekiah's march up the east coast of the Nephite lands the following year. I mentioned in the previous episode, or number 24, or part 5.5, that one of the ways Amalekiah may have prepared his forces for taking six Nephite cities in a single year was to subvert the local leadership or the important people in those cities. Morianton may have been such a person, so subverted and inclined to oppose the leadership of Nephiha, or his soon-to-be-designated successor, Pahoran. This episode departs a bit from the general chronological format so as to allow for a straight reading of the Amalekiahite War with the first battles preceding the battle analyzed here and the majority of the war following this battle. Amalekiah fled the land of Zarahemla in 73 BC, or the 19th year of the reign of the judges. That is the year that we will return to in the next episode. The fighting with Morianton takes place in 68 BC, or the 24th year of the reign of the judges. This battle also had little political linkage with the issues of Amalekiah and his followers, though it is possible to see the connection with the broader political context and why Morianton's flight poses a serious danger to Nephite peace and stability. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
overview of the battle. This campaign is recorded in the Book of Alma, chapter 50, verses 25 to 36. It takes place in the 24th year of the reign of the judges, or about 68 B.C. The events associated with Morianton come as a sort of bridge between the preparations of Moroni that we discussed in episode 21, or part 5.2, that take place between the 19th and 25th years of the reign of the judges, and the main fighting associated with the Malachiah and his invasions that take place in the 19th and then the 25th and 26th years of the reign of the judges. Moroni, following the dissension of Amalekiah, initiated a massive fortification campaign with initial efforts to create walls of dirt or stone around cities and then later improvements that included works of timbers and protected towers. Moroni also led a military campaign into the East Wilderness to clear out Lamanite camps and remove a potential threat from encircling the Nephites. That effort also included the foundation of several cities. These were massive societal efforts that required the commitment of tens of thousands of man-hours, if not much, much more. The Nephites founded the cities of Moroni, Nephiha, and Lehi, as we are told in Alma chapter 50, verses 13 to 15. We will discuss the location for the city and land of Lehi in a moment, but the city of Lehi is central to the story in this episode. This is a city founded in the 20th year of the reign of the judges, or about three to four years before the events we will discuss. One can assume that the people who lived in the land and city of Lehi were relative newcomers to the area. It is uncertain how the Nephites occupied these new settlements, but one can assume, I believe safely, that family groups were critical to the process. Our story begins with a new city and a people new to the area. In general, the people did well. Mormon tells us that this is one of the happiest times in Nephite history. In Alma chapter 50, verses 15 to 17, and 23 to 25. Quote, and they also began in that same year to build many cities on the north, one in a particular manner which they called Lehi, which was in the north by the borders of the seashore, and thus ended the twentieth year. And in these prosperous circumstances were the people of Nephi in the commencement of the twenty and first year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. But behold, there never was a happier time among the people of Nephi since the days of Nephi than in the days of Moroni, yea, even at this time in the twenty and first year of the reign of the judges. And it came to pass that the twenty and second year of the reign of the judges also ended in peace, yea, and also the twenty and third year. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the twenty and fourth year of the reign of the judges, there would also have been peace among the people of Nephi, had it not been for a contention which took place among them concerning the land of Lehi and the land of Morianton, which joined upon the borders of Lehi, both of which were on the borders by the seashore. Close quote. In essence, there are two different conflict issues, the contention around the land of Lehi, and later a battle fought by the narrow pass 
which is a seeming passage route to the land northward. And so we begin our analysis. Geographical setting, location. The Battle of the Narrow Pass and the war with the Moriantonites takes place over a large geographical area. The first conflict was between the people of Lehi and Morianton over land then controlled by the people of Lehi. Both cities had lands that bordered on the east seashore, as we are told in Alma chapter 50 verse 25 that I just read. Following the contention, the people of Morianton moved north and then northwest to go to the land northward and establish a separate kingdom up there. The Battle of the Narrow Pass took place in an area referred to as the Narrow Pass. This pass was described in Alma chapter 50 verse 34 as, and I quote, the narrow pass which led by the sea into the land northward, yea, by the sea on the west and on the east, close quote. It is not certain from the limited description whether this was a narrow mountain trail or pass or whether this was a passable piece of ground along the edge of the sea or this was simply a trafficable route between difficult areas. The fact that it is described as being by the sea on the west and on the east at the same time may indicate that this was a route that a person could have used to get from one coastal area to the other and subsequently up to the land northward. For those listeners familiar with ancient history, I refer you to Thermopylae, or the Gates of Heat or Fire, and the famous battle fought there between the Greeks and the Persians. That was a pass of sorts that ran along the edge of the sea and at the foot of a steep cliff. It was not a mountain pass. The confinement came in large part from the proximity of the seashore and the steep drop down to it. One possibility for the narrow pass in this Book of Mormon reference is a similar geographic situation as that at Thermopylae. Who was involved? There are three groups of people involved in this portion of the record. The Nephites, the people of Morianton, or Moriantonites, and the people in the land northward. The first two groups are conceptually clear, and the size of their forces can be surmised with some degree of accuracy, but the last group is inferred and more difficult to understand. The existence of such a group owes itself to a confusing use of the word they as identified in the following passages from Alma chapter 50 verses 29 and 32. Quote, Therefore, Morianton put it into their hearts that they should flee to the land which was northward, which was covered with large bodies of water, and take possession of the land which was northward. Now behold, the people who were in the land bountiful or rather Moroni, feared that they would hearken to the words of Morianton and unite with his people, and thus he would obtain possession of those parts of the land which would lay a foundation for serious consequences among the people of Nephi, yea, which consequences would lead to the overthrow of their liberty. Close quote. From these two verses, it seems that Mormon expressed Moroni's concern about Morianton influencing a group to unite with his people. Who were the people that Moroni was concerned about? It is possible that Mormon referred to one of two possible groups of people. 
Either Mormon was talking about the people in the land bountiful, or about a previously unknown or undisclosed people already living in the land northward. The people in the land bountiful are the antecedent most closely associated with the pronoun, but the presence of Moroni in bountiful, and it seems that Mormon suggested that maybe the people in bountiful were the ones concerned as well as Moroni, gives room for doubt that the they refers to the people of bountiful. If this supposition is true, then the people who might hearken to the words of Morianton possibly were an unnamed people living in the land to which Morianton wanted to lead his people, thus the people of the land northward. There is some logic here. We shouldn't assume that any land that existed in this land of promise was absent a population. The Book of Mormon tells us, in several occasions, that the people covered the face of the land. Because of this, it is probably safe to assume that there must have been people living in the land northward. But, as I've already said, this is supposition. Now, let's understand each of the forces involved. Nephite forces. This battle was fought between the Moriantonites and an army of Nephites under the command of Teancum. Moroni dispatched an army from Bountiful, or from his camp near Bountiful, which was probably a standard army, as we previously discussed in episode 23, or part 5.4, of about 2,000 warriors. The assumption of 2,000 is that there was no indication of subordinate commanders. Teancum was leading this force as a sole commander with no other army commanders along. The Nephite spy network, in this case, was identified as first being the people of the city of Lehi in Alma 50, verse 27, and secondly, the servant of Morianton who fled and disclosed the entire plan, as we are told in Alma 50, 31. Other spies are not indicated, though it should be inferred that Teancum had spies precede his army to identify the movements and location of the army of Morianton. Moriantonite forces. The people of Morianton were traveling as a complete community, and therefore there were numerous women and children who would have been considered non-combatants. The combatants of the Moriantonites may have only been in the thousands, probably between one to two thousand fighting age men. This would make the total group size of four to eight thousand. I come to this number as we are not given any details with respect to a disparity in the size of the contending armies, and therefore it makes sense that the armies are roughly equivalent in size. It is also possible that the Moriantonite forces might have been fewer in number, and this would reduce the overall size of the community in an associated manner. The presence of family is critical to the overall situation and this, no doubt, put the Moriantonite warriors at a disadvantage and led to the battle being quickly concluded. Key Leaders in the Battle Nephite Forces Moroni, Nephite Chief Captain Moroni was not an active part in the actions described, but he is a critical character in this story. He received the people of the land of Lehi, which generated the concerns on the part of Morianton. Moroni also received the maidservant who was beaten by Morianton. 
Finally, Moroni sent the army that stopped Morianton and his people. It seems that Moroni was in the land bountiful when all of this happened. Tiancum, commander of the Nephite army. This is the reader's introduction to this person. He has a colorful reputation based on later exploits. Looking back, it is possible to sketch a man of action who was audacious and decisive. He was clearly a man who understood the tribal nature of the Nephite-Lamanite conflicts and the importance of a charismatic leader to sustaining revolution. His decisive actions against such leaders, as we see here, and again against Amalickiah and Amron, brought about the end of three separate campaigns in the Amalickiahite War. Despite this, we have little knowledge whether Tiancum acted rashly out of a fiery temper or he was cool and calculating and saw the risk as reasonable to achieve the desired end to the conflicts. Often, I have heard Tiancum described as acting rashly rather than intelligently. Given the limited information and Mormon and Moroni's praise of him, I recommend a more measured assessment. Regardless of the assessment, this was Tiancum's first recorded independent command, and he demonstrated traits that will be evident in nearly all of his future commands. Rapid marches to head an enemy, leading from the front, interjecting his person into the thick of the fighting, and direct confrontation to defeat leaders. This was not unique to Tiancum. In fact, most ancient commanders followed similar patterns. It was what was expected on the ancient battlefield. I want to share a personal note. Tiancum is one of my favorite characters, and I wish we had a lot more detail about him. He is one of the reasons that I first fell in love with the Book of Mormon as a young boy. He is an action character. He is adventurous. He is decisive. He just comes across as interesting. And so if you hear in my tone a level of admiration, then I am conveying that properly because I do admire Tiancum. Moriantonite forces. Morianton, leader of the people of Morianton. Morianton is something of an enigma, as he appeared just in this story, at the end of which he was dead. Mormon described him in Alma 50, verse 30, as a man of much passion. This passion led to an outburst of anger and the beating of a servant, who then disclosed Morianton's plan to go to the land northward. Moroni and the people in Bountiful were concerned with this plan, fearing that Morianton could convince others to follow him, as we already discussed. The fact that Morianton commanded sufficient loyalty to convince all of the others of his people to keep their movement secret demonstrated significant charisma, as well as the disclosure of Nephite fears. Mormon also explained in Alma 50.35 that Morianton's flattering words made his people stubborn enough to fight a Nephite army. Obviously, Morianton was competent and capable and well-respected leader by his own people. It might be assumed that Morianton was a significant figure at the very beginning, maybe a former Nephite commander in earlier fighting, possibly even the tremendous battle of the wilderness. We just don't know. But he seemed to be present at the foundation of his city, and that is why the city is named after him. Once again, a lot we don't know. 
context. In this set of contention and battle, the reader is introduced to a critical aspect of Nephite strategic thinking. The Nephites seemed to have had as their policy that they could not be surrounded by avowed enemies, Lamanites or allies of the Lamanites. By surrounding, I mean having these enemies on their south, which was the location of the land of Nephi, and the historical direction of attack, as well as having them on the north. The possibility of such an event caused the dispatch of a Nephite army and the forced return of an entire community of people. The Moriantonite War was a strategic battle of speed and position. This battle came several years after the first Lamanite campaign in the Amalekiahite War and before the second campaign of that war. This was a simple dissension caused by a contentious land dispute with the people of the land of Lehi, who then fled and came to Moroni's camp. Morianton feared action against himself and his people for this contentious land dispute, and that caused Morianton to be determined to lead his entire people to the land northward. This campaign was an interruption of the Nephite Golden Age, as described by Mormon, and read previously from Alma 50.23. The Nephites were at their happiest prior to these events. It is likely that the prosperity resulted in the problems. As each of the two communities expanded their influence and their use of resources, they were certain to bump against their neighbors. Prime pieces of real estate could have caused friction, especially if critical or valuable resources were found there water, precious metals, etc. Whatever the reason, Mormon informs us in Alma 50 verse 27 that the people of Lehi were not at fault. The Moriantonite dissension campaign continues to bear similarity to the Mesopotamian conflicts referenced at the beginning of this episode. The issues in Mesopotamia were about control of land for agriculture and water rights. Those issues resulted in numerous engagements and possibly battles between the city-states over these resources. In the events, as they transpired in Morianton, the conflict or contention grew warm, as we are told in Alma chapter 50, verse 26, quote, For behold, the people who possessed the land of Morianton did claim a part of the land of Lehi. Therefore, there began to be a warm contention between them, insomuch that the people of Morianton took up arms against their brethren, and they were determined by the sword to slay them. Close quote. The use of the word warm was probably a common euphemism designed to express conflict short of war, violence, threatening, possibly raids or even kidnappings. All of this low-level conflict could be considered as warm, the lower-level violence escalated, and the people of Morianton took up arms and prepared for real battle. The people of Lehi fled to the camp of Moroni. Once this was known to Morianton and his people, Morianton began to encourage them to flee. This was when the plan was hatched to go to the land northward. The immediate desire for flight could have been linked to the size of community. Clearly, none of the people of Morianton thought that they could stand against the army of Moroni. Therefore, they must have had a number of fighting-aged men 
approximate to or less than the standard Nephite army. Based on the story recounted by Mormon, Morianton could probably have succeeded in his plan had he not beaten his servant. This meant that Moroni was surprised. Why did this happen? Where were his domestic spies? It is possible that the years of peace dulled the spy network or that Moroni did not feel it necessary to keep them deployed within the Nephite lands after so many years of peace. Regardless of the reason, the beating caused the servant to flee and also come to the camp of Moroni. She related the plan of escape to the north and Moroni dispatched an army to intercept the people of Morianton. Technical Context In this section, there is one item of particular interest, camp. What does it mean to have a camp? Or what did it mean when Mormon talks about the word camp? The term camp of Moroni, as used in Alma 50 verse 27, is interesting in itself. Later, in Alma 50 32, we get the impression that Moroni's camp is located close to or within the land bountiful. By the designation of his camp, it seems that Moroni is not located in the city itself, but has his army outside of the city. Why would Moroni be in a camp? There was no war currently going on. This speaks to the possibility of a standing army, a professional or quasi-professional force. Were the armies conducting training? That would have made them unique in ancient warfare. Was Moroni stationed in what he considered to be one of the most strategic positions, a place that would allow him to react and come to the rescue of any city that was attacked? This last idea seems to make sense, but it does challenge some of my geographical understanding of Nephite lands. But here again is the importance of the concept of a standing Nephite army. This is no longer a militia raised at times of emergency, but a force that existed continuously to protect the state from a constant or near-constant threat of attack. What makes this even more remarkable, if the supposition is true, was that the armies of Moroni were still maintaining their vigilance even after nearly five years of peace. Moroni sent Tiancum to intercept the fleeing people. But he did not simply send Tiancum with his army, as we are told in Alma 50, verse 33. Quote, Therefore, Moroni sent an army with their camp to head the people of Morianton to stop their flight into the land northward. Close quote. Moroni sent Tiancum and his army with their camp. This denotes a logistical aspect. The army was traveling with all of the support they needed for their camp. Nowhere else is there information on what this camp might have consisted of or why it was so designated. Tactical Chronology All the record states was that Tiancum headed the people of Morianton. The record gives the impressions that this was a significant effort as it uses the phrase, as I quote from Alma 5034, They did not head them until they had come to the borders of the land desolation. This gives an impression of a chase that lasted a while and succeeded in the nick of time. Once Tiancum headed Morianton and brought up the people and army of Morianton to a halted position, 
Tiancum must have spoken with Morianton. He may have offered to escort the people back to their land and to assist to resolve the dispute with the people of Lehi. We don't know what was offered or said. Regardless of the content of the discussion, Morianton and his people were stubborn, and they refused to return to their land, and a battle commenced. The record in Alma 5035 simply states, and I quote, And it came to pass that the army which was sent by Moroni, which was led by a man whose name was Tiancum, did meet the people of Morianton, and so stubborn were the people of Morianton, being inspired by his wickedness and his flattering words, that a battle commenced between them, in the which Tiancum did slay Morianton, and defeat his army, and took them prisoners, and returned to the camp of Moroni. And thus ended the twenty and fourth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Close quote. It seems that maybe this battle was fought quickly and resolved through the death of the wicked leader. Whatever happened, it seems pretty clear that there was a direct leader-on-leader fight. Though this was characterized by Mormon as a battle, it is possible that most of what happened was a battle of champions that resulted in the capitulation of the Moriantonites. If both sides were arrayed for battle and ready to fight, then even though the only two people engaged were the leaders, it still would have been considered a battle. It is clear that there was something called a battle, and that in that battle, Tiancum killed Morianton. The Moriantonites returned to Moroni's camp as prisoners, and not as escorted Nephites. Despite this, Moroni dealt with them in his customary approach. They entered a covenant, and he allowed them to freely return and live in peace. Battlefield Leadership Moroni sent a subordinate to fight this battle. We are not told the reasoning behind this decision, but it is a statement of fact. Regardless of why this might have happened, it is clear that there is a strong emphasis on delegation within Moroni's leadership. He allowed Tiancum the opportunity to command and grow through the experience. We don't know how old Tiancum was, but what seems to be the case is that he had some sense of geographic connection to Bountiful, as this will be his base of action for the rest of his life. Maybe Moroni recognized a competent young man and wanted to give him an independent leadership opportunity. Tiancum demonstrated what would become his trademark move, attacking the leader directly and personally. In this instance, the death of the leader seemed to end the fight and resolved the stubbornness of the people. Tiancum will do this again against Amalekiah a little more than a year later, and against Amron almost seven years down the road. Significance The primary significance of this battle is the introduction of Tiancum as a military leader. He will serve as one of the five most important military leaders in the Amalekiahite War. Moroni, Lehi, Tiancum, Antipas, and Helaman. Mormon is also setting the foundation of understanding Nephite strategic doctrine. Nephites could not be surrounded. There is also the important note of disunity. The tribalism and division that surfaces here is one of the societal issues that tear at the Nephite society. It is important to remind the listener that this sequence of events comes after Mormon declares this to be the happiest time 
in Nephite existence. Think about that. Contention and dissension often follow prosperity. Lessons learned. This is a battle of strategic importance, but the main action is one of movement. Whoever could get to the narrow pass first was the one that would win. In this case, it was Tiancum. I'll now do a brief discussion of the five elements of war that I have previously used and will continue to use for each battle analysis. Identification. Moroni was surprised. Without the information from the beaten servant, Morianton would have succeeded. This event speaks clearly to the importance of maintaining vigilance despite prosperity and peace. Isolation. The people of Morianton were isolated politically and militarily from the time the people of Lehi fled to the camp of Moroni. This was the primary reason for their flight. Suppression. There is not sufficient information to know what happened in this regard. Possibly, as we've discussed, everybody lined up for battle, and it was a contest of champions. Maneuver. Sort of the same answer. We just don't have sufficient information to know what happened in this regard. I sort of imagine two armies lining up. If it was more than a contest of champions, then it was a collision of the forces that resulted in the death of Morianton, which resolved the battle. Probably not much with respect to maneuver, but again, we don't know. Destruction. It seems that the death of the leader resulted in the capitulation of the group. If this defeat was the result of a battle of champions, then it is the sole example of a battle being decided by such a contest in the Book of Mormon. In summary, the lessons are that we need to pay attention at times of success and in times of difficulty. We need to bridle our passions. We need to listen to those who come to us with words of warning. When we send a force out, that force needs to be prepared and leaders need to take charge and be at the forefront of the critical action. As I am writing this, I am also making recommendations to help youth prepare for a summer activity. Included in those recommendations is the importance of the 10 essentials. This is a backcountry list of 10 categories of items that every person should always take no matter how long they are going for or how far they plan to travel. They are essential and they should always be taken. I think of the detail of sending Tiancum and his army with their camp in just such a light. This is like sending out a group on a day hike with their 10 essentials. These are the things that one must always have. I would invite you to consider what your 10 essentials in life are. Conclusion The Nephites were not a homogeneous people with all things in common. They were a tribal society, rife with tribal, clan, and family divisions that sought to break down Nephite unity. The contentions in this case were inspired by the wickedness of a single man and his people's willingness to follow his foolhardy plans. First, to go to war over the contention with the people of Lehi, and then to flee to the land northward. The stress and friction within the society is illustrated here, and this window to the larger society helps the reader to truly appreciate the struggles of Nephite leaders throughout the record and to gain an even greater appreciation of the period of perfect peace 
following the visit of Jesus Christ. Just because writers refer to all the Nephites as Nephite with one designated name does not mean that they were all the same kinds of people in the same level of agreement and cooperation. The next episode begins the sixth part of the podcast series on the Amalekiahite War. The specific episode is a battle analysis of the battle at the city of Noah in the 19th year of the reign of the judges. The sixth part of the series will include six battle analyses and several episodes on larger campaigns as we will discuss every battle covered in detail in the record, as well as explain how the war developed in time and space. I invite you to reach out and ask questions and send comments to me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. Until next time.